You ready? I'm ready. I see you have all your notes yeah, prepared. Just, just oh my gosh, like five well, pages just of notes. There's a lot of like names that I want to make sure I remember. And yeah, I just over prepared. Welcome everybody to the Life Plus God podcast. I am your host, Alyssa Robinson, and I am joined today by one of our associate pastors here at Treat Memorial United Methodist Church. Gracie Millard. Welcome again. Hello. I'm glad to be back. All right. So today's big question that we're going through was another special request from Gracie. This is something that she specifically asked to talk about, and I have a ton of questions around it. So the big question is, how did the Bible come to be? And that's talking about like the book of the Bible. Why were some books chosen and some weren't? Why are they in the order that they're in? What is the deal with all of these translations? Mm -hmm. And like, why do we need all of these different translations? And so we're going to dig into all of that and uh, find some spirituality and connection to God along the way. Uh, But hey, if you've ever been curious about like, okay, what's the deal with this book? This is the podcast you want to listen to. So, Gracie, let's just jump straight in. Let's like, do it. could you give us some history on how the Bible has become what it is today? Yes. Okay. So, I'm going to do my best not to get too bogged down because it's been, I don't know, forming for like 3,000 years pretty much because we're including the Hebrew scriptures in there. Um, so, Around, if we're going to talk about the Christian Bible, um, we have to start in the first century when we have the first, um, we have the first, the Gospels being transcribed and Paul's Paul writing letters, other people writing letters. Um, so that's where like the first, the New Testament stuff gets started. Uh, but and these letters are circulating, the Gospels are circulating, all kinds of different. Things about Jesus are circulating around to the different churches all across um, the Roman Empire. And um, what's really kind of funny is that the reason, the kind of initiation of we need to kind of have, say, what is scripture and what is true um, all came from a heretic because in response to a heretic who was like, he, his name was Marcion and he was in the second century and he was like, um, anti-Semitic. He was not a good guy. I mean, like he was doing his best, but we, he was saying like the old Testament God is a, or like the God of the Hebrew scriptures is not the same God as this God and saying all this stuff. So Christians were like, Oh, so it was kind of out of false teachings that they were like, Oh no, we need to get it together so that people can recognize a heretic when they see one or when they hear one and say like, have something to base off of this is this is what we believe this is actually the way that we want people to know of like this is Chris, this is christian teaching versus heresy like that and so um it f- it came out of response to him cuz he was like he picked uh the gospel of luke and got rid of some of the um some references to Hebrew scriptures in there and he kept, and he liked Paul's letters and he said like, this is what Christians should be reading. And other Christian communities were like, whoa, 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 no, like we, there's so much more that are important to our communities. And, um, from the beginning, Hebrew scriptures, the Christians, 
have made Hebrew scriptures part of their scriptures. They've never... Um, it's all part of the faith story. Yes. I mean, Jesus was constantly exactly. referring back to the Hebrew Bible. Yes, yes. And so that's another thing that I think um, is important to recognize is that from the beginning, the Hebrew scriptures have been vital to the Christian faith, that um, it's not just this New Testament that is important, but it's the whole thing. So from the beginning, anyway, so here I already getting lost in the details, but Marcion, uh, yeah, initiated this sort of response. And um, so slowly, like over this next couple centuries, they started sort of gathering sacred, what they called sacred writings um, um, based off of what was circulating around different communities. Um, Cause some, some communities only had the gospel of Luke and some only had a gospel of Mark. Um, so what, what litmus tests were they using to, decide what's sacred and what's not? That is a really good question because um, there wasn't ever like a formal decision, which you would think that something like this was. There wasn't a formal decision until, if you want to count uh, later, there's a Catholic council that says like, this is what we call the scriptures. But early on in like the third, fourth centuries, um, they're kind of all doing it together in terms of like, um, so there were other, a couple other, um, writings and things that we don't have in our canon. That's the kind of word of the day is the, the canon of what is canonized as scripture versus there are other, other letters or scripts, uh, manuscripts that are going around at the same time, but we don't call them as part of the Bible. Could you, uh, kind of define canonization? Like when we say it's canon or it's canonized, what we mean by that? Yes. So canon or canonized uh, scripture or text is something that um, has been um, decided that this this is vital to the Christian faith and Christian teaching. And so we want to... um, it comes from the word based on a, like a rule, like to guide off of a rule. Um, and so there are other other texts and manuscripts existed that didn't make the cut of the canon, but not that many, honestly. Like most of what was going around um, is what we have collected. And what, what kind of determined that was a lot of like um, – were the ideas similar? Were they kind of teaching the same message um, throughout the text? Because if there was something going around saying, you know, that Jesus hated such and such, it's like, mm, I don't, I don't think so. Like mm. that doesn't sound like everything else that we're reading. So a lot of it was based off relationship to each other and similarities um, to one another, and so it was a lot of, you know, it's it was a human endeavor of trying to be faithful of thinking what what is it what does the christian faith mean to us it was always about um how can we best worship god and what what scriptures do we want to read during worship that was always kind of the center of um how they decided what texts were important and what should be quote unquote canonized and there wasn't a can a formal canon until hundreds of years later so um yeah it's i wish it was such a a very 
a clean and like say like in 350 they canonized the bible but um we do around like the fourth century or so get pretty much the basic main list of the new testament of what we know as the new testament so a couple hundred years in they had nailed down the four gospels all of paul's letters and uh a couple of the other letters, like Peter's letters and John's letters. Um, I've always wondered specifically about the letters because, mm-hmm. um, and and I, I kind of want to skip ahead sure. to, to one of my questions that I prepared you on. Um, God breathed versus mm-hmm. God inspired and that whole entertaining, because what it sounds like is how the Bible came together mm-hmm. is very messy. Mm-hmm. It was, um, like you said, a human endeavor of us trying to figure out, okay, how do we want to, um, where do we find similarities and discern how God represents God's self mm-hmm. to us in this world? Yeah. And so, um, but from that people, I've said, okay, the word of God Mm -hmm. is God breathed, meaning that it is directly God. um, The way I imagine it is like God goes into a person and guides that Mm. quill or that pen or whatever it is they were using, probably not an ink pen. (laughs) But, (laughs) and so it's confused me, like thinking about the letters, like I imagine. Paul never thought that the letters he was writing to individual communities would end up being considered sacred and God breathed or God inspired. So can you clarify for me, like maybe what your understanding is on what it means, the idea that scripture is God breathed or God inspired. And I know that those are two different languages that kind of, um, mean different things. Sure. Could you walk me through that a little bit? Sure. Um, so what's kind of, it gets kind of meta because it's scripture that says scripture is God breathed. (laughs) And so then you kind of go, can argue, like that's kind of a circular argument. Um, but how I understand it is that scripture is divinely inspired and that's, um, dual sides of that scripture. So the authorship of it, the composing of it, and then the receiving of it is also divinely inspired that believing that God is with us, um, the Holy Spirit is helping us to understand what it is that God is trying to convey through these scriptures, Um, whether you are um, reading it or hearing it, which is how most people hurt uh, and took in scripture for 1500 years. Uh, I mean, 1500 years of the new Testament, but for most of history, scripture has been, um, spoken. And so I, I understand scripture to be God breathed and divine in the sense that it's divinely inspiring both the, the authorship, but the hearer as well. So that means that there is room for misinterpretation and mis mis uh scribal error what they call it of um sometimes you know they're editing and our humanity gets in the way sometimes yeah yeah yeah. and i think it would be we would be remiss not to recognize that over the course of thousands of years that there weren't some people who had some motives that you know edited each other's work or were when they were copying down they said "Mm, I don't really like that let's change it to a man's name instead or stuff like that so um but that's why um I also 
how I always think of scripture is that it's the living word of God so that it's not this stagnant thing, that that's what uh, the Bible is is a living word. It's meant for us to constantly be learning from it and never fully understand it and just take it at face value. I think that devalues mm -hmm. scripture to just take it at face value and not use your critical thinking and questioning about all the different hands that touched it and people that heard it. So. And that, this is where on, you know, I, I love all of that. And, uh, the thought of divine inspiration and that these were written and then people experienced the divine while they were reading them. And so it's just this ongoing movement. And then it makes me wonder because this has been an experience of my own. Um, maybe I'm teetering on heretical. I don't know, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Let you let me know. Um, but I've always thought, okay, that means that the Bible isn't the only thing that's God inspired and that we can find the divine. Like there are still, I, cause I don't want to get caught up in like the only thing we know about God is what was written 3000 exactly. years ago. And so right. we've talked about Richard Rohr. We've talked about some other authors. Like I love Rob Bell. I love mm -hmm. reading Adam Hamilton. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, that's sacred as well, because oh, it yeah. guides me into relationship and understanding with God. Um, now I don't know, like, why is it that we don't hold things like that in the same regard as the Bible? I guess it would be, um, the, the time lapse of like, they were closer in time, more Jesus adjacent than, than we are today. I don't know. Or the fact that their writings are often inspired by scripture itself. So it's a continuation sure. of scripture as opposed to a totally different sacred writing. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't really have a question in there. No. Except to say, like, I, I feel like that can extend beyond the Bible. And some yes. people feel uncomfortable with that. Yes. Um, no, I think that's a really good point of saying, like, um, did God's revelation end mm -hmm. at the the book of revelation is that when god stopped revealing god's self to the world no yeah. um but scripture is we set it aside as um as a unified thing that we can um we can all across the world experience god through but also i mean you me like we've all experienced god beyond scripture mm -hmm. in um, well, poetry is a great example. Poetry, poetry is an experience of the divine sure. that maybe because uh, what I mentioned were spiritual writers, specifically mm -hmm. like trying to educate and inspire spirituality. Sure. While poets, there is spirituality involved, but it's not distinctly Christian necessarily. Sure. Yeah. And I think about the mystics that oh, there's yeah. the mystics. Oh, my gosh. Their experiences of God. Um are just are they're incredible they're beyond words so i think that's one thing is that scripture can is trying to put words to so much of god and so much are trying to help us understand God through words, but God is so much bigger than can, what can be captured in words so mm -hmm. we need those experiences um and my gosh, I think we would be remiss to discount any uh, experience of God beyond scripture. Um, I mean, the mystics, I think like Gertrude and Helga and they have, they're all these really cool mystics. Um, and they, the way that they conveyed truth about God, it's in line with 
the t- the truth that's conveyed in scripture. So mm-hmm. it's why would we want to discount that, you know? But I think the reason we don't say that experience is like canon or like some individual's experiences are canon is because it's that individual's experience. So it's hard to uh, verify or say like there, we, we didn't experience that. So um, scripture gives us a base for everybody to begin. It's more of like a collective yes. of like, hey, the gospels, we have four different books that accounted similar events in yes. different ways. And so we can look to that and say, these are facts that happened and we can align them together. So it's not necessarily saying that someone is experienced who wasn't included as a book of the Bible was untrue or didn't happen or you can't learn from it. It's just saying that's a personal experience that we have no way to verify outside of that individual. Sure, sure. Yeah. And that goes back to like how scriptures were uh, canonized of like saying like, okay, see Matthew, Mark and Luke, like they got a lot of similarities going on. Like even though some of the details are different, like that kind of makes the order of events is right. That kind of verifies it though of Mm -hmm. saying like, they came from different camps, but like they're all telling the same story. Maybe the details are different, but the details just tell us, try to convey a different aspect of Jesus. Well, it's like when someone is on trial and they're calling up multiple witnesses, they all have their own perspective. And what they're looking for is it's actually a red flag if they're telling all of the exact same things, because then it's seen as more of collusion. But when you see that the order of events is similar, but there are different details in every witness testimony, then it's more reliable. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm curious to know, why were the books put in the order that they were? Because mm. we don't have them in a chronological order. We kind of have them in pockets of information. Sure. Um, so do you want to start with the Old Testament or New Testament? I'll take your lead. Okay. <laughs> New Testament, um, we'll go with that. Um, just because I think it's a little more uh, straightforward and that it wasn't any creative way. Um, the Gospels, they thought that needs to go first because that's the most uh, clear revelation of Jesus. Um, And they put those in order of the theory at the time um, that Matthew was written chronologically first. And so they put it in what they believe to be the chronological order that it was written. And for the most part, it's kind of held up of thinking like, okay, Mark was probably first, but then Matthew and Luke were around the same time and John was somewhat after. So we have the gospels first and Acts goes with Luke. Um, So we want to put that right kind of up with it. And then you just have, you have the epistles um, and they just do it in order of length of the book. Um, so they, Romans is, is the Is that longest. really how mm-hmm. it was decided? Yeah. It's like, okay, <laughs> let's just go longest to shortest. Yeah. It really, yeah, there's no like fancy, like besides like keeping like the Corinthian letters together and like the Thessalonians together, like it's keeping them. Yeah. It's just in length, order of length. And then you get to the non-Paul letters um, and Hebrews was kind of thrown in there at the end because nobody really knew what to do with it. And it was kind of a um, controversial one because uh, it was like people were anti-Semitic and so they didn't want to include it, Um, but it contained truth. And so they ultimately decided to include it. 
they don't know who wrote it, so they threw it in there after Paul's letters. And then um, then you have the really short ones, the really short letters that are not from Paul. And then uh, you end with Revelation, which was, I think, they they were like, this is a good chronological place to end because it tells about the end things. Um, so that's kind of the New Testament. and It's nothing real uh, inspired there, really just kind of logical, surprisingly. <laughs> Um, as for the Old Testament, it is not the same thing as uh, Jewish scriptures necessarily. Like, you know that, but um, it's um, mostly they, they went off tradition of the Hebrew scriptures, um, taking the Torah, taking the uh, prophets and the writings. So like the wisdom literature and stuff. And so um, the Hebrew Bible puts it in a different order. Um, they put the prophets before the writings, and so um, Christians just switched it around. Do you know why we decided to do that? It seems weird. Of like It was I'm, already in a set order, and we were like, no. Right, yeah. I'm not really sure if there was a particularly good reason. Um, the only thing I can think of is just like that the prophets kind of lead up to the uh revelation of jesus that's what i was wondering if it had to do with like the story will continue on with jesus like you end with malachi who's like giving this message about somebody coming and then then you got matthew and somebody's come (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's the kind of uh sort of frustrating thing about it but also kind of fun thing is that there's so much history and so it's hard to nail down of like they didn't actually record why they did this included this and not something else and um it's just I think goes back to the human endeavor of it all Mm. so well okay so let's dig into translations a little bit um because when I go into my bible app and I'm choosing from mm-hmm. translations there are like hundreds to oh, choose yes, from so many and uh those are only the english ones right so for these translations for there to be a new translation um accepted does it have to have come from the manuscripts and them looking over the manuscript and then the new translation comes from that? Or is there like, I kind of think of it as a game of telephone of like, oh, I read the common English Bible and then I'm going to read that version and I'm going to update it and I'm going to call that the new living translation Hmm. or whatever it is that they're building on each other. Or is each of the, are each of these authors their responsibility is to go back to the original manuscript and and start from there. Um, so I'm not as versed in how the trans the formation of the translations actually happen. Um, I know that there are families of translations, like the re- new Revised Standard Version came from the Revised Standard Version, which actually came from the King James. Um, they made a lot of updates to that. So um, I would say that most scholars, most people who are forming a translation, um, they're, I mean, can you imagine the work that that's, they, they must see a need that there's a voice missing in translations. Um, 
Yeah, I can't imagine the undertaking. So it's like yeah. they, they must really, really feel like that this is missing and needs. Um, they owe it to um, the world to translate um, through the lens of the voice that they're um, that they believe is missing. Um, but also, there's the the things are lost in translation. So that comes back to the choice of the translator. That um, a lot of there's the translations that are more like the idea that they're trying to get across versus the literal word translation. Um, because the literal word translation, while that may be the literal translation, it's n- maybe it's not conveying maybe the idea that the original text was hoping to say, um, like there may be some idioms that are lost or, um, things that were like cultural that we didn't get from translating it word for word. Mm. Um, so there's the need for, or th- some people prefer to have that thought for thought that try there's the kind of the two camps of word for word or thought for thought translations. And so um, I think it tends to fall into what is missing. What do they feel like, um, the world needs in terms of um, what the Bible, like how the Bible, how the story of scripture is being translated. Well, and it kind of takes me back. So like all of these translations brings me back to the thought of like God inspired Mm -hmm. is like, are we functioning under the assumption that every single translation of scripture is God inspired? Because I, I, when I hear the cultural things, I'm like, okay, changing name from male to female doesn't feel God inspired. Right. Um, the word homosexual wasn't even included in scripture until like the forties. And before that it had been like, um, more of like, uh, sexual predator predator or things like that. And then we switched it over to homosexual because of our culture mm-hmm. shift. And that doesn't feel God inspired to yeah. me. And so then I start to get like hinky about all of it. Cause yeah. I, I'm like, okay, how can I possibly how can know? I, how can I trust? Uh, because yeah. I can't read the original manuscript. And most people can't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I know I think that's a really valid um it's a valid concern because that's I think that's why a lot of people um it's easier just to take the Bible at literal word because then um it's the fear that your whole faith is going to unravel if um you start questioning um you know well humans touch this I have to believe no 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 I have to believe that God like ordained every pen stroke of every person but the reality is like people were translating for all over all over the roman empire into the east um and having different translation like coming up with different translations and and translating from not the original text and then um like that's how the king james version is has um comes from this text called the they called it the textus receptus is well latin i think um and that text was a rushed translation yeah. um they were trying to like get down like um they were trying to get it published before this other tech before this other translation uh of 
into the Greek got translated or got published. And so some of that was problematic, but that text was used for the King James version. And so mm-hmm. it's like, there is that sort of bit of telephone of where like things get garbled along the way. Um, and we've, I've gotten way far off from your question about things be about different translations being divinely inspired, um, or the, the literal word of God. But I think the reality, we ha- you have to look at reality of that. Um, there were different people writing different, uh, like different, having different translations, um, ways that they understood the text. Um, but I think that it enriches the, enriches scripture, um, that you can believe that God divinely inspired that interpretation. Um, and, and also back to what you said earlier is like the divine inspiration can be what you're receiving from it Mm -hmm. when you read it. Exactly. And, um, and I had never thought of it that way of like God inspired and God breathed doesn't necessarily refer to the inked words on the page. Mm -hmm. Maybe it refers to, uh, the receiving of the spirit that you get when you engage. Sure. Um, I mean, that makes it much more, uh, inclusive because only one I mean not one there's only in the grand scheme of things a handful of people writing it but the world receiving it I think God probably is in 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 our receiving of it (laughs) so um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, contradictions because Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that people uh, stumble over and a lot of debates that I've had around scripture is people saying, well, there's so many contradictions in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I just throw all of it out because Mm -hmm. I can't like, where is the truth? Mm -hmm. You know, Um, what, what do you do? How do you, um, have conversations with people who are like, you know, there are just contradictions in scripture. How, how Mm -hmm. can you talk to them about, um, your Bible experience? Yeah. Um, I'd say that they have a really valid point. I see the contradictions too. Um, so you're not trying to talk them out of it and say, Oh no, no, no. You're misreading it or you're misinterpreting it. Right. Um, if they're coming down to the details of like, I think of in judges, this just was a memory that I've, the first time I was ever explained about contradictions um, comes from when we were reading judges at an undergrad. And in one passage, it says, and Israel took over all of this land. And then in the next chapter, it says, Israel didn't take over all of this land the same it's the same land. And it's like, okay, how can that, one of those can't be true. Um, and so, um, it's stuff like that where it comes down to the, um, like what is important? What is the main truth that's trying to be conveyed over scripture? So for me, scripture as a whole does not contradict itself as a whole. What I learned from scripture is that God loves the world that God created us for love and that God wants us to experience God. That's what I get from the whole of scripture. Um, but once you get down into um, all the all the stories, all the narratives, sure, there, there are details that are contradictory, um, but 
you can look at that more as like a conversation or of like, okay, why? I wonder why this is like um, it says that they conquered and then they didn't conquer. I wonder what they're trying to convey by saying that. Or I wonder why the authors who are probably two different authors writing this, I wonder why they included both of those. Um, and the Jewish tradition actually has a really healthy view of scripture as a conversation and as a, like, they don't get scared of the contradictions. They're like, they look at that as like the most fun part. And they're like, um, you know, that's what all their, their conversations about scripture about like, Oh no, I disagree with you. Like, no, no, no. I don't think that's what they were trying to say. Um, so I think we get so caught up in like the whole thing has to be true, um, for it to be true. And I just don't, or even the whole thing has to be fact, like fact, it, yeah. for it to be true. And yes. we're talking about yes. truth with a capital T right. of like the eternal truth. Right. Yeah. 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 So I would say, I agree with you. There are definitely contradictions within scripture, but when I look at scripture, when my experience with scripture as the whole is that, um, is that it, it doesn't, it's, it's one story, um, one overarching story, yeah. I should say. Well, yeah. and I also think that, that that speaks well to um, kind of what we were talking about on our Grace podcast a few weeks ago is that it's not our responsibility to explain that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's okay if someone comes to you and is like, you know, there's a lot of contradictions in the Bible. It's okay to just be like, yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> instead of feeling the need that like, okay, now I am the defender of God. Right. God doesn't need us to defend God. Right. Uh, so to take that and be like, ooh, tell me more. Like, what did you find? Mm -hmm. uh, because maybe just celebrate, they must have read scripture right. to recognize contradictions. That's true. And I, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's something to be celebrated and uplifted and say, let's have this conversation as opposed to like getting your case together. Right. Of, oh, well, let me explain to you. Explain why. it away right. instead of making it a starting point. And sitting in the mystery a little bit. Yeah. That's, that's the other thing is, um, I think I said it earlier, it just, I think, um, taking it literally can be a disservice to all that it is. There's so many layers to it and there's so, you know, so much history around it. And so to take it word for word from, uh, 21st century scholars, <laughs> literal translation of it, if that's what you want to say. Um, I don't think that's at all what God intended for us to, how God intended for us to use the scriptures. But. So one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you about all of this is because you are fresh out of seminary and you're kind of on fire with all of this knowledge that you've acquired over the past four years or maybe longer than four, three years. Ooh, shorter than four years. I guess undergrad. I had, I did religion degree. So there's four more. Yeah. So, um, you're on fire with all of this knowledge. And I just am, am curious to know, did learning all of the ins and outs of the Bible creation affect your faith in any way, like positively or negatively? Because I've heard that seminary is 
basically someone described it to me as they are tearing down <laughs> your faith and deconstructing you to the point that you have no idea what you believe and you're down to the studs and then they build you back up again. Um, was that your experience with learning about like how the Bible came to be? I don't know that necessarily, I guess, for the Bible part of it, that it felt like it was tearing it down to the studs, learning about it. Um, there are other aspects of seminary that did have some deconstructive elements, um, but they did reconstruct and are continually reconstructing. But um, for learning about the Bible, I think I was just more like I had no idea and um, was more just fascinated and felt like it not necessarily validated, but it gave me so much more um, curiosity and desire to continue learning about it and like inspired me, I guess that words for some reason. I don't know. But it was like, oh my gosh, like, of course, people study this for their whole lives because there's so much to it like that you can't ever learn all there is. And there's always more layers that you can discover and talk about. I mean, it's the, so for me, it positively affected my faith journey and how I see scripture. Um, I it was makes, just, I think it makes scripture more exciting. It does because it's not a stagnant thing. It's like, because you know, you grow up and you, or if you grow up in a church and you hear the quote unquote same stories over and over, um, then it can feel like there's nothing new. Like I already know that. Um, but when you can, when you realize like that there's so many layers to it and the questions that you are allowed to ask about it, um, it becomes so much more exciting and so much more alive, which is goes back to the the fact that it's a living breathing word of god that it's never fully going to be understood but it's something that we're always seeking to learn more about so i feel like uh Part of the reason maybe it wasn't as much a shock to the system for you is because you're a lifelong Methodist. <laughs> and honestly, I don't know if this has been your experience. I'm also a lifelong Methodist. You don't meet very many people who grew up in the Methodist tradition. Like, at least I haven't. Most people that I meet as adults in the Methodist church came from a different faith background, maybe a more evangelical background or... Uh, Catholic, Catholic, a lot of Catholic. a lot of Catholic backgrounds, a lot of Baptist ba mm -hmm. backgrounds. And the way that uh, I've seen a lot of people is like the Methodist church is the compromised church. Of yes, like we got is. married, I'm Baptist, <laughs> he's Catholic. So we decided on yes. Methodist, you know? And, um, but I think that part of the Methodist tradition is embracing uh, your experience, mm -hmm. embracing your intellect, mm -hmm. embracing the doubts and the questions. Yeah. And so I I think that that might be why, like when you got to seminary, none of that scared you because your faith wasn't a house of cards that you yes. remove one piece and everything falls. Right. And for some traditions, it does start to feel like a house of cards sure. of like, if one thing isn't true, then everything's untrue. Right. And, um, that, that can be dangerous. It can be, it can feel it can really detrimental. Scary. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Because I think there are a lot of people who um, 
their whole faith is based on the Bible. And I think we... Which so, ours is too, because right, like how else true. would we how that's else true. would we know about but Jesus if it wasn't for the scriptures? They, I think um, we in our culture, American culture, American Christianity, Western Christianity. I don't know, um, but it, we have turned can almost sometimes turn the Bible into an idol over forgetting the purpose of it. That this Bible isn't God. The Bible is the divinely inspired word of God, but it's not itself God. Can you make the Bible an idol? I think you can. If, well, I think you can. <laughs> I think you can if you're turning it into, like, it's more important than God, that you're forgetting the source of it. Because it seems that, like, a lot of the, I understand, like, our reverence for scripture, sure, but sometimes yeah. it's taken to the point of, no, this is God. Or that it can't be questioned. Right. Um, and everything, I mean, I think everything has the potential to become an idol and get in the way of our faith. And I mean, um, Jesus experienced, when he experienced the temptations, it was, scripture was being used uh, mm, on it. And yeah. so um, it's definitely, I think, can be a source of, um, or yeah, thinking that your interpretation of it is the one right way. Um, I think there's a little bit of pride in there, <laughs> a little bit of ego. Yeah. yeah. And I think we all get caught up oh, in it sure. sometimes. Yeah. Like, um, I am very, I question everything. I'm very <laughs> open to people asking me questions, but every now and then when like, if I am in a Bible study and I'm explaining like why I think that something, like what I think something means and someone's like, no, no, no. Like, and they start challenging me, your ego gets in the way sometimes mm -hmm. of like, how dare you? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> exactly. You're not allowed to question me. Right. I was the one. Saying, <laughs> I was right. Yeah. Um, and I think that we all get caught up in that and so it's just a never-ending practice to like mm -hmm. set pride and ego aside mm -hmm. uh to try and receive the inspiration mm -hmm. of god that mm -hmm. scripture can provide mm -hmm. i think i just want to clarify um maybe a better way of explaining why scripture can be an idol is that it's not god it's a revelation of god it's not part of the trinity it's not father son spirit Bible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's it's the revelation. It's not God. Well, it's like a conduit to help us get mm -hmm. to know God in a way that we can understand. Yeah. Um, because there are and there are other ways to learn and to know God's love yeah. that aren't scripture related. Yeah. Uh, people talk about like divine experiences. And you mentioned some of the mystics who have incredible stories of divine intervention yeah. in their lives that maybe had nothing to do with scripture. Um, it's just one more way for us mm -hmm. to learn the heart of God. And honestly, it's the easiest one for us sure. to access. Yeah. And I, yeah, I hope, you know, I want to say and make sure people know I love scripture. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's come across. Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, to say that um, that it's the end all be all of God is just not the case. Yeah. 
So, so why is it important for us to understand stuff like this, to have conversations about why the Bible came to be, how it came to be? Why does it matter? Well, I think like what I alluded to with um, when I started learning about it in my experience, it made my faith come alive and just like all the curiosity and exciting, uh, excitement for, uh, continuing a lifelong journey of studying this and thinking, oh my gosh, there's just, it, it, if there's no way I can even begin to scratch the surface of all the, all the ways to, to learn from scripture and read scripture. And, um, so I think it's important for the sake of, growing our faith and we we are critical thinkers like that's what way our brain works and so i think and that uh, was a gift exactly yeah. and so i think um it's learning about where the bible came from um can help enrich our faith um i think it's not something we actually really think about or realize like that the Bible didn't just like plop down <laughs> and just like happen, but um, it's it's too complicated. It can be overwhelming or too complicated to try to figure out. Well, how did this, you know, trace the lineage of the scripture, or whatever? Um, but I think I think it's that in the intimidation of trying to figure out, of trying, of realizing how big and how much. Uh, mystery there is to it can be intimidating, but I think it only serves to enrich us and it makes us have questions and questions that haven't been asked before. And then who knows what kinds of things people will learn from that. And, and an ongoing weekly podcast where we never run out of questions. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gracie, thank you so much for coming on again sure. today and this having this conversation with me. And for listeners, uh, if you're looking for a way to get started engaging with scripture, a really great place to start is downloading the YouVersion app. Um, we are actually a YouVersion church. So if you open up that Bible app and you search for Treach, then you'll find us and, and we'll send you weekly reading plans to help you grow in your Bible engagement. And so, or if you just don't want to put Treach as your church, you can still access reading plans and get uh daily scripture sent to you and it's a really great way to get started so i hope that y'all do that um and gracie thank you so much oh thank you this was fun the life plus god podcast is hosted written and produced by me Alyssa robinson and sponsored by treach memorial united methodist church in flower mound texas if you live in the flower mound area i invite you to stop by and see if treach could be your new church family you can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org. And I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.